Well, we are in Acts chapter 5, and uh, this week we're going to be in verses 17 through 42. We have been watching as God has moved through the Holy Spirit, and uh, with that comes issues. Anytime that God is moving, there's going to be people that don't like it. And in this particular case, it's going to be the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. And uh, the persecution is going to start. It's already started. They jailed uh, Peter and John earlier. Now they're going to jail all the apostles. And it's not going to get any better. It's going to continue to get worse. And as we watch, as people become uncomfortable... Because the Holy Spirit is moving, moving, moving in mighty ways. And what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to move and people get saved, people change. And when people change, people notice that. The lame man who sat by the gate for 40 years changed physically. He got up and walked. And danced and praised the Lord and everybody took notice. And last week we saw that as, as two cases in which dramatic change came. One was Barnabas and Barnabas sold the plot of land and gave all the money. And God changed Barnabas in such a way that the apostles even changed his name. Because his real name, his given name was Joseph. And they called him Barnabas, son of encouragement. And and it so changed Barnabas that he gave up everything and he became a missionary. They sent him first to Antioch, to the new church that was happening in Antioch. And then he went on with Paul to go on an amazing missionary term with Paul. And then later... He went on with with John Mark and went on another missionary tour. It changed Barnabas. (coughs) Well, not everybody changes in the right direction. And we saw that Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. And God killed them. And it says that great fear came over, not just the church, but great fear came over the rest of the people. And one of the interesting things is right after it says the great fear came over in chapter 15, verse, or excuse me, 5, verse 14, it says, And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. People were getting saved constantly. That's kind of interesting because before it said they were getting saved day by day. You could could probably put this, they were getting saved 24-7. Isn't that awesome? The moving of God is not held together by Sunday morning. It's not held together by when we hold services. People were getting saved constantly. I love that term. 
But not everybody was happy about it. And that's what happens with what in our narrative today in Acts chapter 5. So let's read what it has to say just through verse 40, 32. But the high priest rose up and along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go, stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. And upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and they sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in prison. And they returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely, and the guards standing at the door. But when we had opened up, We found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. And when they had brought them, they stood them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince, and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. What does it take to make you quit? Quitting seems to be quite easy. These guys have already been, at least Peter and John's already been arrested. Now that we have all the apostles have been arrested, thrown in jail, they are going to be beaten. And it would be pretty easy to say, you know what? Let's just quit. Let's go do something else. 
All these religious leaders hate us. They want to put us to death just like they did Jesus. But no, God had different plans for them. I, I think it's kind of interesting that, that God is a God of the jailbreak. Have you ever noticed, I mean, Peter and John, they had to spend the night in jail. But after that, God kind of said, you know what, I'm tired of this. Man may put you in jail, but that's not where you belong. And here we see an angel showing up, opens up the door, leads them out, and says, go preach. Go right back where you came from. You're not done. You still have more to preach. And he's going to do it again. He's going to do it again later on. He does it in Acts chapter 12 for Peter. And then he does it in Acts chapter 16 for Paul and Silas. He says, you don't belong here. But you know, it's interesting why they were in jail. They were in jail because the Sadducees were jealous. The religious leaders were jealous. Now, you know what's interesting to me is that why were they jealous? Because of the miracles that they were doing. It says that they would even bring people out into the streets to... Just by chance, if Peter was walking by, his shadow may fall on them and be healed. You know the interesting thing? The Sadducees didn't believe in miracles. And yet they were jealous. They didn't believe in the resurrection. But they wouldn't even mention the name of Jesus in which the disciples were healing people. They were jealous. And jealousy is a terrible thing. Jealousy will lead us to do things that we shouldn't be doing. They had no right to throw the apostles in jail. No right. But jealousy made them do it. And you know, the world, the world gets jealous. The world is jealous of you when you have peace. That song, it is well with my soul. When you have peace in the midst of whatever you're going through and the world looks at you and they go, wow, I wish I had that. But behind your back, they're, they're going to try to try to sabotage you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to say, oh, he's, he's a fool for believing that. But they can't take away what God has given you. They're jealous of it. In 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about jealousy. A jealousy in the church. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, he's talking to the Corinthian church. Are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? 
For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? You see, jealousy is one of those things that when it gets in the church, it wreaks havoc. Oh, you, you know, the pastor mentioned this group and he didn't mention our group. Oh, they got more money in their budget line than I got in my budget line. Jealousy wreaks havoc. Matter of fact, James tells us, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. If you've ever seen jealousy in a marriage, disorder and every evil thing. When we allow jealousy to get a hold of us. And that's what had happened with the Sadducees. They, even though they didn't theologically believe in the miracles, they couldn't disprove it. And deep down, selfishly, they, they were like going, well, what's going on here? We don't have this power. We're not healing people. Well, it's because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They didn't, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah and that's whose name that they had to call on. And they, even in their indictment of the apostles, they couldn't bring themselves to speak the name of Jesus. Just saying, we told you not to speak it. Now, uh, these apostles... You know, they're not, they're not out and fighting, you know, let, you know, get us the best lawyer. They go willingly to jail. And of course, God says, nope, you're not taking my guys. And so an angel comes in and gets them, bails them out with no bail money. And I, and I like this, this where, it, where it says that when they came... The doors were locked, the guards were in place, and nobody was there. That's just like God, isn't it? When it was time for Jesus to be resurrected from the tomb, the Roman guard was there. It was sealed by Pilate's seal. And yet when the angels came, they rolled the stone away to show it was already empty. Jesus had already resurrected. They didn't roll the stone away to let him out. They rolled the stone away to let everyone look in and see that he was already resurrected by his own power. He didn't need anybody to roll the stone away. God has a way of doing things like that. And notice what the angel says to them in verse 20. He says, go, stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. That word stand is not, does not mean just stand up and speak. The word stand in the Greek means stand firm. Don't 
Change. Be resolute. Stand your ground. Don't let anybody tell you that you don't have the right to speak. Because we have that today, don't we? We have, we have people who say, oh, you can't say that. That's intolerant. You have to agree with our, what we say. Well, I got news for you. They said the same thing we should be saying. We have to honor God, not man. And he says, don't change your message. What did he tell them to do? He said, preach. What? Oh, I should give you that one, huh? Stand firm. Stand firm. You were waiting for me to get there, weren't you? He says, preach the whole message of what? Life. You see, the world only has a message of death. For the wages of sin is death. And that's what the world's message is. Death. But what? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of a God is what? Eternal life. Amen? And he said, preach the whole message of life. Because, see, that's not, that's not very uh, well received in a lot of places today. See, there's a lot of churches that, that uh, I was, as I was watching as we were singing about the blood. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Down at the cross where the blood was applied. Did you know that there's whole denominations that have taken the blood out of their hymnals because it's offensive? Well, I got news for you. We get no place without the blood of Jesus. It is what cleanses us. It is what saves us. It is what gives us forgiveness of sin. And yet, some people don't want to preach that anymore. They don't want to preach that this is the Word of God. Ah, it's a good book, written by some nice guys. I got news for you. It, is, it was given to men by inspiration of God. And it is the Word of God that speaks to us. It's sharper than two, any two-edged sword. And he says he wants us to preach, speak the whole message of life. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But we've got a lot of places anymore that don't want to preach the whole message of life. That message that starts off with a virgin birth that the Son of God would come down and through the Holy Spirit enter into a young virgin by the name of Mary. And he would be born and he would live a sinless life here on this earth. His deity would be 
would be signified by all the amazing miracles that he did, including raising people from the dead, that he was indeed the, the way, the truth, and the life, that he had power over all things. And then one day, the very spiritual leaders of Israel that had put these men in jail crucified him. They sent him to the cross to die. And on that cross, his body was broken and his blood was given for us, for eternal life, for forgiveness of sin. And then they took him down and they put him in a borrowed tomb and they, they wrapped it around with a seal and they put Roman soldiers in front of it thinking we're not going to let anything happen. But Jesus said, wait a second. <laughs> Three days I will be in the earth and then I will rise. And certainly he did. He came up out of the grave and it says when he did, he had the keys to death and hell with him. And he was here on this earth for 40 days in which all of these apostles were witnesses, and the people that were with him were witnesses of that. And then he went to heaven. And he went to heaven to do what? To prepare a place for me and you. And he says, if I go and prepare a place, I will do what? I will come again and I will get you. And one day he's going to come and we're going to hear a trumpet in the air and we're going to we're going to hear our name called and we're going to be caught up to heaven with him forever and ever and ever. That is the whole message of life. Well, they did that very thing. I think it's interesting as we look at this passage that these were the chief priests. These were the people who were supposed to guide Everyone in the Jewish faith, the apostles were where? They were out in front of the temple. They were at Solomon's portico, portico teaching the people. And there was enough people that the, the guards that went to get them were scared. But they didn't even bother to check on what was happening out in the temple. They had one agenda. So they went back into their chambers, not even knowing what's going on on the temple grounds. They sneak in the back door into their chamber. And they, they say, go get them. They're not there. What are we going to do? And all of a sudden, somebody else has to come tell them, hey, guess what? Those guys are preaching again. And they're like, what? How does this happen? And they come in and they make two accusations. The first accusation is that you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And boy, had they. I mean, people were getting saved. What did I say earlier? Constantly. Everywhere. They were in the temple preaching. They were, they were teaching house to house. This thing was growing way out of control as far as they were concerned. And notice the second accusation that they made. He says, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. 
You're going to bring his blood on us. Now, that's interesting that they should say that. Because mere weeks before, when, when Jesus was on trial, they made a very interesting request of Pilate. In Matthew chapter 27, after all of the trial had taken place, it says, when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. And then listen to what he says. I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, his blood shall be on us and on our children. Well, that was a big statement to make at the crucifixion. But what are they doing now? Oh, don't you put that on us. We didn't do it. Well, certainly you did. And what does Peter say in his rebuttal? I love Peter. He just lays it out. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, listen to this line, whom you had put to death by hanging on a cross. They put it, they put it right where it belonged, right where they had asked for it, on them. They didn't like that. They didn't like that at all. Verse 33 says, But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. They were cut to the quick. What does that mean? A lot of times we think of the quick as being the hangnail. You ever get those hangnails, right? Yeah, those hurt, right? That's not what it means at all. What it means is cutting through all of the dead part of skin until you get down to the live tissue. It's like when you're debreeding a wound that has gone dead. When they're taking gangrene off. When they're taking frostbite off. It's literally dead tissue and you have to get down to the quick. You have to get down to what's still alive. You see what they said, what Peter and the apostles said at that moment, cut through all of the dead that they were and got all the way down to what was still living. You see, there was a little bit within them that was still salvageable, that was, that was still, God was working. But they didn't respond to it correctly. It says What? And they intended to kill them. Let's read 33 through 42 and see what happens. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. And they intended to kill them. But the Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care 
what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thutius rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after this, uh, this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him, and he too perished. And all those who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may be found fighting against God. And they took his advice and they called the apostles in and they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Amen? Amen. They just kept on. They said, you can jail us, you can beat us, you can do whatever you want. But we're not going to stop. We're not going to quit. It may hurt. But... What can we do? We have been saved. We have been changed. We have the Holy Spirit within us. What can we do? You know, sometimes God protects us in unexpected ways. Unexpected ways. Who would have thought that somebody who sat on the council would stand up. Now, this is, this is Gamaliel. Let me tell you a little bit about Gamaliel. First of all, he was a Pharisee. Pharisees believed in the resurrection. I think, Pharisee, I think Gamaliel wasn't too far from becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. He was a Pharisee. He was the chief teacher. He was the rabbi. Matter of fact, he had a young student at this very time by the name of Saul, who we're going to call Paul. He, he is, everyone wanted to be taught by Gamaliel. And he stands up and he gives this very interesting reason for them to not kill him because isn't that what they wanted to do it's what did what did verse 33 say and they intended it's not they weren't just thinking about it. they intended to kill them that's what they wanted to do 
But Gamaliel stands up, an unexpected source, and he says, hey, listen, you guys remember Thutius. That was back during the census. That was back during the same time when Jesus was born. Remember Thutius? Oh, he proclaimed to be something, and he had 400 followers. And, and, and what happened to Thutius? It says he died, and everything fell apart. And then he says, you remember Judas of Galilee? He did the same thing. He rose up, and he had followers, and then it said, what about him? He died, and the whole thing fell apart. And Gamaliel says, be careful what you do with these guys. Now, this is interesting, because what could he not say about Jesus? That he was still dead. You see, you can't go to the grave of Jesus. You could go to the grave of Thutius. You could go to the grave of Judas of Galilee, but you couldn't go to the grave of Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, listen, if it's of man, if Jesus was just a man, what's going to happen? It'll all fall apart. It can't hold together without a leader. It will all fall apart. But, what does he say? But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Or else you may be found fighting against God. You see, Gamaliel knew you can't fight the work of God. When God begins to move, you can't fight against it. You know, we try that sometimes. Oh God, I don't want to change. I don't want to give up whatever this sin is. But the Holy Spirit saying, nope. <laughs> God says, nope, I got you. And you're going to change. See, don't fight. When God wants to change you, when God wants to do something in you, don't fight against him. It'll never work. You can't fight against the work of God. Now, just because God was doing great things doesn't mean it was easy. It says they flogged them and turned them loose. And ordered them not to speak. And so in verse 41 it says, So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. They, they considered themselves worthy to suffer for Jesus. You know, there, there are some folks that find it easy to give up. They find it easy to quit. Oh, I was hurt by the church. You know, that's the number one reason I hear people, if I go talk to people and say, I don't go to church anymore because I've been hurt by the church. 
And they quit. And it's easy to do. But the reality is, is who are you quitting on? You, you may be upset at a person that offended you. But are they suffering? No, they're still in the church, hearing God's word, being encouraged by God's people. Of all people, the one guy who should have quit was Paul. Let me read you what Paul has to say about his life in Christ. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers of rivers, in dangers of robbers, dangers of countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been labored and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst and often without food in cold and exposure." Do you think Paul had a right to quit? Oh, man. I want the faith of Paul that in the midst of all of that, Paul wouldn't give up. I mean, he spent years sitting in jail waiting for a trial. And you know what he did all that time? He preached to the people who were in jail. And he preached to the guards. And the whole Roman praetorium that was sent to guard him got saved. That's what it says. Well, at the end of his life, as he writes his last letter to his protege, Timothy, I want you to listen to what Paul has to say. He's literally writing. He's in solitaire, solitary. He's waiting to be martyred. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy 4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, Preach the word, young Timothy. Be ready in season, out of season. Rebuke, reprove, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, be sober 
in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And then look what Paul has to say about himself. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Timothy, don't quit. Timothy, preach the word. Preach the whole word. Use it to reprove, rebuke, encourage people. And then he says, there's going to come a day when people will want to have their ears tickled. There's going to come a day where they won't want to hear about the blood. They won't want to hear about things like repentance. They don't want to hear about the hard things. And he says, even then, don't give up. Don't give up. Why? Because there is waiting for you in heaven a crown of righteousness. He says, I'm about ready to get mine. Are you going to get yours too? What an encouragement to young Timothy. What an encouragement to us that even when it gets hard, even when people don't want to listen to the truth, even when people (laughs) want to hear the, the myth rather than the truth, just keep on. I'm certainly glad that the apostles didn't quit. I'm glad that they kept on preaching and that we have the word of God today so that we can keep on preaching.